So welcome. I'm Ruth Frenger, founder of Conscious Leaders. This podcast is about providing you with disruptive insights from human leaders. They're progressive leaders and they're willing to talk about the highs and lows of business so you can take away both their philosophy and as well how it plays out practically day to day, what it's really like. Learn more about the podcast and us at consciousleaders.org.uk. On this month's podcast, I'm interviewing Cheryl Luce. She literally lives down the road from me, which is quite exciting, and it was lovely to interview her at my place. So she's grown from freelance SEO specialist to running her own digital marketing agency called Wagata. I really love the way Cheryl opens up about the realities of running a small business, as well as the interesting things you can celebrate. I'll leave that one there and let you listen. I started by asking her just how she got to where she is now. Yes, so um, so I wanted a degree in languages and then I worked at Thompson Holidays for a few years and had a career in the travel industry. And then um, I made the decision that I wanted to focus more on the digital side of things. I got quite involved in um, in the website development for some new products that we were creating. So um, I did a master's in electronic publishing, which I think makes me sound very old. But it's really useful because it was the front end of, um, you know, websites, the content, the accessibility, but also the sort of back end and the coding and that sort of thing. So it was kind of a really broad um, experience in, in, in websites and how to make websites successful. So that was really useful. Um, and then after that, I had various jobs. I worked in the NHS. I worked for a small publishing company. But the reason why I set my business up is um, after I had my two children, and um, I was going back to work after my second child and I added up the cost of childcare and I realised that um, with the cost of childcare and the train fare into London, I would only earn five pounds a day. And uh, <laughs> five pounds. for as much as I loved my job, I didn't really want to go to work for five pounds a day. And I actually did need to go to work to earn some money because my husband doesn't have a huge salary. So he's a teacher. So, um, so yes, I basically thought, well, let's see if I can get some freelance work and just work from home. So at least I could save the train fare. Um, and it just took off from there, really. It was very, very quickly grew. I think I launched the business just at the right ta- right time from, a, from the perspective of search engine optimization and what Google was doing. So, yes, just really lucky. Um, I've always tried to be very transparent with my clients. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why the business grew so so rapidly. Mm. And um, I guess to be clear to, to guess that we've known each other for quite a few years now yes. maybe like five years at least yes I think so up to six yes, maybe I yes. think when I started my yes so since your early days of your business yeah it? how long have you had your business then? six years yeah so I think it's probably yeah getting on for that yeah so and I remember meeting you um yeah in the fairly early days and you were like this um this kind of golden example of St Albans businesses that um because um, you were based out of Stanta which is our local business um, agency mm. and uh, I always remember how they talked about you a lot they were like oh you should see what Cheryl's done I was like who's this Cheryl someone's got to introduce me to Cheryl um, because uh, they were so impressed with how how you'd kind of grown it sounds like from freelancer and and really kind of organically grown a business because mm. it sounds it sounds like you haven't had investment or no, this no. Is, um, yeah yeah yeah, oh, so yeah. Tell, tell me about that tell me about like your your growth, because it, you know it's easy to sit on the outside and be like, "Oh, how does she do that?" Like, mm. what would you say if someone asked you that question? It's it's a really interesting question. I think it comes from never saying no and just taking on more and more work and 
just I think I got a little bit addicted to networking so um, and all our clients are on a monthly retainer so we would take new clients on and we wouldn't really lose them so you know it was just kind of that's how it, it, it grew really from from you know just having a few clients and then having a few more and word of mouth and um, I just really enjoyed the networking. I never expected to be one of those people that would enjoy networking, but I think I approached it just as going out and having a coffee with friends, and actually that I think that works really. Mm. If you if you if you go out there and just try and connect with people, I think people respond to that really well. So yeah. it's really good for the, for the business. I think the networking. And um, and so your journey into to leadership. Tell me about that. Tell me about what it was like to take on your first staff members mm. and. And things like that. Yeah, I know it's really interesting because I had I had some freelancers quite early on, um, and one of the freelancers that I the one my first freelancer we actually still work with, and she lives in Greece, and I've, I've never even met her. She is English, but she lives in Greece, um, and so after a few years of having freelancers, um, which was working brilliantly, it still wasn't the same as having people sitting next to you who you can say, right, can you do this? Can you do it like this? And showing it to them. Mm. So, But I was a bit nervous about taking on staff because it feels like quite a big step. So I remember um, going to my book club and sitting next to a lady whose daughter was looking for some work. She just left uni. So I said, oh, why doesn't she come and you know, do a little bit of work for me. And so I said, oh, why doesn't she do one day a week? So she came and did one day. And then the next day I said, oh, would you like to come back? And then within a week she was working every single day. And we were working in my kitchen um, mm. over the kitchen table. And I thought, this isn't going to last. You know, I need to get an office then, you know. And it just felt like such a massive step having to get an office, move into an office, having staff. I can see why people get put off by it. But actually, once you've done it with one member of staff, then it's, you know, it's fairly easy to keep going. And then... From that point on, um, just growing the team really, and I think in the early days, um, it was very it was very difficult to really be that shining example of a leader because I think I was still so involved in the work mm. that I was I was doing most of the work still. So I think until that point where I was able to pass over the work to the team um, and kind of help the clients understand that here were the people that were now going to be looking after them. I don't think I was really leading until that point because mm. you're just too engrossed in the day-to-day really to really even think about what you're doing and why you're doing it and what you're trying to achieve with your leadership. Mm. So tell me about that sort of transition then from kind of, you know, you might be showing people practically what to do or it'd be a bit more transactional but you're very much in the work to then letting people take on responsibility and all of that. How, how is that? process of or or is that process even of letting go in that way because mm. I guess one is very you know we're in control aren't we when we're we're able to decide exactly how things happen to to kind of delegating that kind of some of that control and how that goes yes I think it was quite difficult to hand it over I think obviously it's a bit of chicken and an egg until you've handed it over they don't know how to do it and so they don't hand it over because they don't know how to do it and then so it did take probably a few years for me to really properly hand over the work I remember for years I insisted on sending all the reports to all of the clients <laughs> which would just take me so long because we had like 30 clients at that point and I was the person that was still trying to send every single report right. I think I thought that's what I had to do I had to be that person who who served the clients and actually I think it took me a while to realize that I don't serve the clients I serve the team and the team serve the clients and that's mm. how that works um, but once but once I managed to find a technique to kind of help the clients understand that I was no longer the person that was looking after them then it all kind of fell into place after that mm. and you said that 
that your role is more to serve a team what do you what do you mean by that I suppose I as a leader I feel like my role is to create the environment and the atmosphere that allows the team to do their best work um, you know I need to find the right people I need to make sure they're doing the right things I need to support them they've got the right training all those sorts of things so that they can then support the clients mm. so you're kind of facilitating them to do their mm. job yes yeah, yeah that's how I see it yeah. do, do you think that a lot of leaders see it like that or like how common do you think that approach is because um, it sounds like you're you're basically trying to get stuff out of their way and help them know what they've what their purpose is in their job and mm. and be able to do it effectively like yes i don't know i guess there must be a lot of people that maybe think that their team's there to serve them mm-hmm. um i'm not sure i think yes it's an interesting question actually Ruth. yeah whether, whether everyone kind of grasps how what the best way is to get the most out of your team yeah and does that when it comes to i mean hiring is a big topic which i know is is something that you've grappled with over the years with lots of successes and some some troubles but um when you're hiring tell me about what you're looking for like what makes a great Wagada team member how do you know them when you spot them yeah that's a really interesting question um and I don't think we've always got it right um I think the thing that always excites me when I meet someone is if they're showing passion and that they're really excited about um, about digital marketing, about what we can offer them, um, and just excited about about getting up in the morning and doing something good, you know. And I think when I see that excitement in someone, that excites me. Um, I think the other thing that's pretty key, at, you know, that we're looking for at Wagada is uh, you know p- people that can accept they don't know everything. Because I think one of the key things that we try and emphasise with everybody is that we're constantly learning and that we constantly don't know anything really and we constantly need to learn more um and i think when i see people that try and like come to an interview and try and convince me they know everything i find that a little bit um concerning really mm. um because i think i think you got you kind of have to start from the point that you don't you, you're you know you, you don't know everything and then you're the sort of person that's going to explore what what it is you might be missing out on um, and I think the other one that's quite key is about failure, in that we're looking for people that can that can fail, that are not afraid to fail, and that can kind of embrace that and say, "This is what I tried. It didn't work. This is what I've learned. Let's try it this way next time." Mm. Um, and that you know, some, for some people, they can't they can't fail. They just it's just not in them to allow themselves to fail. I think they put so much pressure on themselves that they can't they just can't think like that and I think as a leader I'm someone that I do focus quite a lot on failure because I because I love failure and it probably sounds really crazy but I think failure is the most important thing ever that you can you know that that's how you learn what not to do and by knowing what not to do it tells you what you should be doing mm. um, she used to really celebrate failure I don't know if this is pre-pandemic but you should have failure prosecco is yes, that right tell, you still tell have about, failure prosecco tell us about failure prosecco well I get I get really excited when we fail because I feel like we've learned something really useful when we do something wrong so um so we'll either there's kind of two ways that we have failure prosecco either we'll open the prosecco and celebrate it all together and um we'll all have a glass of prosecco usually if the prosecco has been in the fridge we'll do that i really don't like warm prosecco um, <laughs> otherwise a very important fact <laughs> very important yeah. otherwise i we will give the bottle of prosecco to the person and say let's celebrate what's gone wrong today mm-hmm. here's a bottle of prosecco go home and enjoy that and let's chat about what we've learned today and how we can share that with the rest of the team 
And, it, and I think it kind of just lightens that feeling of, oh, I've messed up. Mm. Because it's kind of, I don't want to say it's kind of jokey, but it is almost a bit of a joke then. Mm. It's like, okay, this has gone wrong. Let's not take it too seriously. Let's just move on from it and let's learn mm. how we can use this information yeah. to make improvements so that next time we, we don't do that again. Mm. And so what type of thing would you want to, what kind of failure <laughs> would you celebrate? Like what, you know, like we all make mistakes, don't we? Day in, day out. But, yeah. but how many do we kind of get out of the Prosecco for? Like, Yeah, we don't do the failure Prosecco too often um, because I think it gets a bit boring after a while if people mm. are like constantly doing the same thing. So it might be, I remember once we had Prosecco in the office because we decided we were going to move project management system and we'd gone home through this massive process of finding this new project management system and we'd got to the point of it being the day before the old one ran out and we were taking on the new one when we realised that the new one didn't do one basic fundamental thing that was absolutely you know, vital for vital. it to do for us to be able to use it. So we were all a bit you know, depressed. We were like, let's have a bottle of failure Prosecco and let's celebrate yeah. the fact that we haven't accidentally taken on that system when it wasn't going to work for us. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think there's always a silver lining. You can always find a silver lining, whatever, whatever it is that goes wrong. Or sometimes it's something to do with a client. You know, If a communication has not gone well with a client, there's always, there's always a way you can trace that back and say, right, what, what point did this start to go wrong? At what point did, mm. did this not go as smoothly as we would have liked? Yeah, I guess that kind of culture of kind of airing mm. the, the failure, I'm going to put it in inverted commas, the failure, because it's, it sounds like it's just a point of learning. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you put failure in inverted commas because I think people are so afraid of the word failure. Mm. Like, when I, get, I just, just don't see it as a negative word, but I know that lot, some of the team even now struggle with it and struggle with, with mm. using the word failure to describe something that we consider to be positive. Yeah, I, st- I still think of a, like an F at school or something yeah, yes. like a branded, you know, that was a that was a fake. It's almost, it almost sounds a heavy word, but you yeah. don't see it like that. No, not at no. all. I'm like, yeah, this is brilliant. We've learned something. We've, we've learned what not to do, which then tells us tells us something about what we should be doing. Mm. And how do you think, I mean, we do spend quite a bit of time on this podcast talking about things like safety in the workplace because it seems highly fundamental and when I say safety, I mean I mean a kind of psychological safety, mm. so feeling safe to mm. fail, for example. How do you find that affects people when they come to the company? Does it change if they notice that it's okay to fail, for example? Mm. I think this is it. I think it takes people a little while to realise that when we talk about failure, we're not seeing it as a negative thing, you know? And I think that's another reason why we have the failure prosecco, because it, it makes it all very, you know, visible. And, you know, obvious that we're celebrating failure and it allows people to look and say, oh, actually, that's, you know, that's a, a failure. And this, it's, it's generally never like one person's fault. It's generally a catalogue of things that if that hadn't happened, this wouldn't have happened and then this wouldn't have happened. Right. That um, it allows people to say, well, actually, here's something we're kind of almost celebrating this failure together. We're all playing our role in this we're all playing our part in in what went wrong mm. um you know because we can all potentially have, have played a role in in allowing that to happen um but it is true it is it is it is quite hard to convey that to people and to get that right because we're not saying it's okay to constantly make the same mistake over and over again or it's okay to be lazy or it's okay to you know, do this and the other, you know, what we're trying to do is to say, it's okay to do that thing once mm. and we'll do it once and we'll learn from it and we won't do it again. That's the whole point of the Prosecco, I suppose. Yes. It's like, let's get this out yes. and talk it through. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, is it also saying it's okay to like try stuff? Mm. Because I guess stuff... I mean, you talked about communication there with clients, which I wondered, you know, is very interesting. And particularly during the pandemic, we've spent a lot of time online. Um, a lot is said over emails. Like, how, how do you find navigating that type of thing? And, and not just you directly, but with the team who maybe some are more experienced than others at that kind of mm. relationship building and modes of communication and things like that. Um, no, you're right. It's... Um... It can be a challenge. I think some people like the telephone and some people don't like the telephone. Um, And we find that having that sort of, obviously face-to-face is always better, but even a conversation on the phone is so much better than sending an email. Um, So it has been tricky at times to convey that to the staff, that, that they might be busy working away but not communicating to the client what they're doing. And actually the client, the client hears nothing. The client's going to assume that we're doing nothing. Mm. So we say to staff, just, just open those lines of communication and get the client used to hearing you say, I've done this, I've done that, I haven't done that yet. Um, and actually the pandemic has been quite good for us, I think, because um, we would quite often in the past kind of arrange quarterly face-to-face meetings with clients and then things would get saved up for that face-to-face meeting. Whereas I think now with, with using Zoom much more often and doing less face-to-face meetings, we're having those meetings much more often mm. because it's much easier to have them. So actually those lines of communication are open a bit, a bit more, I would mm. say, than maybe they had been in the past. Mm. And I guess communication isn't too bad when you're communicating like good news but I guess not mm. every every marketing campaign goes well for example so mm. like how how do you encourage people to communicate bad news yeah like on news that isn't maybe what they would want to hear mm. I guess it's the same as the, like the whole failure thing the way we convey that is we don't just say oh this went wrong this is what happened we we try and convey this is what we've learned from this marketing campaign mm. and I think that's the beauty of digital marketing is you can learn so much about what's worked and what's not worked and the team, when they're conveying potentially something that's not worked to a client, which to be fair, is quite rare because there's usually at least a, a nugget of something that you can take from every marketing campaign that you can say, right, this maybe didn't work, but this we have taken mm. from that that has worked. But just trying to convey what we would do differently next time mm. and how we've learned from that and how in the next campaign we'll use what we've learned in order to make changes that you know have a positive effect. Mm. And I guess with some clients you can have instant success and with other markets or clients there's a, there is a learning process really to mm. get to the point where you you know can be more effective effectively. Absolutely and I think that's all the best marketing campaigns really have a journey that you you have to learn what's working and what's not working before you get to a point where you're being really, really successful at what you do and it's, it's generating the, you know, the really good return on investment for clients. Mm. So in terms of like your, your journey as a leader, what, what would you say is like some of the most difficult kind of stuff that you encounter in a kind of day-to-day basis? Like what's... Really interesting question. Um, I think the biggest challenge is always managing people, I think, because um, it's a bit like when I've taken my children out on a bike ride compared to taking my children out on a, ha- on a horse a horse ride, like mm-hmm. you can control a bike, you know, it's still difficult, but a horse will still do what a horse wants to do and mm. you can't predict what a horse is going to do. And I think that's always the challenge when you're managing people in that you might have the best intentions. They don't always take the, you know, what you're saying in the best possible way. Um, they don't all, they're not always a good fit for the company, you know, and I think... I've always tried to, you know, be the sort of leader that is very honest with people and have an open and honest conversation. And I think, you know, I've definitely learned from the past where we've had team members 
that maybe I haven't been as honest with about their performance as I should have been mm. because I'm trying to protect them because they maybe they suffer from anxiety or they've got things going on in their lives. You know, when when I haven't been as honest as I should, it never ends well because you still have to have that conversation. But when you have to have it much further down the line, it's a much more difficult conversation to have. Mm. Um, but not everybody likes that honesty, really. And I think that can be quite challenging. And I think, I think really, you know, the team members have to match the leader as well. I think you know mm. you have to be one. Of, you know, if, I, if I'm the sort of person that is very honest, then the person, you know, my team have to be the sort of people that can appreciate that and mm. can, you know, um, and, and want to receive that honest feedback. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you've read that book, Radical Candor, yes. which I absolutely love, and I think that is a brilliant example of why you should give constant feedback. Um, you know, obviously there's ways you can say it that is constructive, that helps people to learn, but not everyone will accept that they that they're not perfect. Mm. I think that that could be a challenge that I you know that I encounter sometimes with the team. Mm. And I guess it's um it's interesting about how we receive information because as Brits we can be a bit passive, can't mm. we? We can be a bit like, oh yeah, just carry on like that. Whereas if, if someone's actually giving direct feedback, that could be considered as kind. I mean, mm. Brene Brown says cl- clear as kind. Mm. So being being direct is kind because yeah. you have their interests at heart. You want them to fa- perform well as well as for the business, but also for them. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, um, you know, where we've had team members that are not performing well, we've probably not been as decisive as we should have been, what their future should have been in Wagada. And I think we've probably said, well, let's help them, let's support them, let's see if we can get them to the level they need to be. Whereas actually with hindsight, we probably should have just cut those ties much earlier on and it would have been less painful for everybody. Mm. Um, you know, and I think when you when you find someone that is not a good match for the company, um, you know, I think it's much better to cut those ties earlier on mm. for, for both the team member and, and the company. Yeah. So I guess it's a a match but also like a communication style like it sounds like you know you're a very honest person and people you know it needs to be needs to better be received as well mm. so you i'm right in thinking you did quite a lot of work on your values at at wagada mm. tell us a bit about that yeah no it was a brilliant piece of work actually so we um we've identified that our values are honest passionate flexible and human okay. and um, we use these values in everything that we do we've had them for quite a few years now I reckon we must have probably had them for four or five years and I, I think in my mind I thought we would evolve and the values would evolve and they would no longer fit with us but actually they're still really really important to us and they're still I still say they absolutely represent everything that we do mm. and the way we treat our clients and the way we treat our staff um yeah i think i think it's really important when we're when we're kind of thinking about how to behave in a certain situation we always come back to our values and we think well is that a particularly human thing to do Mm. you know should we be behaving in this way should we be doing this because that doesn't fit in with our values um so i think they are more than just you know posters on the walls i think it's really important that Mm. you have values that you can you know implement on a daily basis and feel like they that they really do fit with your your own personal values as a leader so and how did you arrive at those values in the first place oh yes we did a lovely project um trying to think how we did it now so we got the everyone in the team 
to write down what they felt was really important at Wagada and what they felt the key elements were. Um, and not just that, what they wanted Wagada to be like as well. So, um, so we ended up with a lot of words, um, some of which were duplicated. Um, and then we stuck them all on the wall, if I remember rightly, and we got everyone to kind of highlight their favourite ones. Mm. Then we kind of pulled out the ones that we felt that were kind of really key and just kept working on them, really, and kind of just drilling down and drilling down. And, um, and then we had a little bit of time to think about it. Um, you know, while we kind of did our daily jobs and thought about actually how would we deal, you know, how would we call what we're doing now? What would the, what would the value be called? Hmm. Um, it was quite a long process, but it was really worth doing because we still keep, I say we still have the same values now that, that hmm. we did then. And you mentioned a value of being human. Hmm. And what, what do you mean by human? Yes, it's funny because I think lots of people, when I say that, they're a bit like, oh, that's not a value. But I consider it to be one of our best values, really, and the one that we use most often. So um, I think if I think about the way we treat our clients, the way we treat our staff, um, we want to be able to communicate with them in a very human way. Um, you know, we, we think that as humans, we have basic needs, we need to have empathy, we need to have fun, we need to enjoy those relationships. And, you know, um, and also thinking about staff's needs, you know, people that are going on maternity leave, or just thinking about how you would like to be treated in those situations. And I think the value of human, we bring it in in those times and we think, actually put yourself in the shoes of that person and think how that person must be feeling at that time mm. and let's try and treat them in a way that we would have liked to have been treated if we were in the other, you know, if the war was in the other court. Mm. So sort of recognising their humanity and yes. where they're at. Yeah, yeah. And just treating people in a, in a really decent way, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. And is that, as a small business owner, like, is that challenging as well? Because... You know, you're a small business. If someone's going on maternity leave, or if someone's off ill, or you know, how, how do you reconcile your kind of like, you know, business drivers with your like empathy and mm. like, how does that? It, it is quite hard. So when I first set the business up, I said, right, I want everyone to be able to not worry about taking sick leave and just be able to take the sick leave that they need. And sa- sadly, it felt like it got quite abused. That lots of the team, especially the younger members of the team probably taking days when they didn't really they weren't really sick so we did have to kind of limit it a little bit and say there are certain there's a certain you know um triggers that if you have too many days off then we will have a meeting to talk about what's Mm. going on and actually you know just putting in those triggers cut the amount of sick leave down by an enormous amount which Mm. is sad really because you kind of think you want to do the best for people but Mm. not some kind of boundaries exactly i do think you have to do have to have some sort of boundaries with this and obviously you can you can then have that meeting with that team member and then you can obviously treat them in a human way and actually see what's going on and see whether hmm. they, they genuinely are sick and genuinely need your support or whether they've just had too many beers the night yeah. before. Yeah, they need some other support. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so it is. It, it can be tricky, but then it shouldn't have to be that tricky, hmm. I think. Um, I think the size we are now, you know, we're sort of 14, 15 people, it's a lot easier to be supportive when people need sick leave, you know, when there's just two or three of you and there's like a third of the team not there, mm. it obviously, it, it's a lot harder at that size of business, I think. Cause mm. like, you know, the impact of someone being off, you know, off sick for a long time is, is obviously mm. much greater. And when when you think about like, because it feels like you've 
come on quite a journey both in your company and as a leader evolving from it just being yourself to like you know handing over that responsibility and I know you took on like um how many years ago did you take on Nick your number no, two three years ago three years ago yeah. so that was kind of a seemed like a major step mm. too where do you see your leadership going what what would you like to be offering for the team the industry what's Mm. kind of yeah it's interesting I think um, it's been really nice so obviously taking Nick on who came on initially as my commercial director and I was the MD and then about a year and a bit ago um, I became the CEO and he became the managing director and I think that's kind of where I see myself going forward is having much more of a strategic role in the business rather than necessarily getting my hands dirty in the day to day so Nick does all the kind of staff um management um you know he deals with making sure the internet works and all those things whereas i can focus on where we're going as a business Mm. and sort of making you know strategic connections and all those things and i think i'm quite enjoying this journey now of of being in this role where i can um i don't want to say take a step back because i haven't taken a step back but i guess just having more time to think about what it means to be a leader and Mm. to be more of a leader rather than be rushing around trying to do a hundred things at the same time mm. um so yeah i think i think my ultimately my dream is that we will be the you know the the best digital agency in the uk um and you know and i see myself very much in a, in a strategic role in in that mm. um yeah mm. well, that's quite exciting times then yes yeah it's exciting mm. so in terms of so you've, you know, you're running a business you've got a family you've you know, it's plenty going on. Like how, how do you look after yourself amongst all these things? Mm. Had COVID recently, I know. <laughs> like, yeah. like, how do you kind of look after your own kind of well-being? Yeah, no, it's tricky. It's tricky to find time to do nice things. And I think, I think I'm probably quite good at like carving out very small amounts of time for me. So I might be like, I'm going to have, you know, 20 minutes to read my book or I'm gonna I've got a hot tub which I love my hot tub mm-hmm. I'm gonna go and spend an hour in my hot tub tonight or and I've got an all- allotment so at the weekend I try and spend two hours on the allotment so I think hmm. I think I'm probably like not very spontaneous but kind of have this kind of this is what I'm gonna do on the, for the next 20 minutes doing this and it's gonna be time for me mm. um but I'm able to kind of do that I'm able to kind of have that time to switch off and then and then carry on afterwards mm. No, that's really good. And they sounds like they are kind of fairly regular mm, yeah. habits and stuff. Yes, yeah. I was re- recently I've been looking at the work of this guy called Professor Paul Dolan, who talks about um, the environment. Basically, we're all wired for the unconscious. So we're all basically doing what we've always been doing, unless we do something like change our environment. Like every Saturday, I do this, or I have an accountability person for that, or I. Um, you know, I'm feeling isolated, so I, I arrange a monthly catch-up call with an old friend or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like the systems that help make the change yeah. because if we don't create a system, we would just fall into the same pattern mm. we've always fallen into. So. Yeah, no, I love that. That mm. sounds great. It's quite interesting to think about that. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's been a pleasure interviewing you. Thank you. No, brilliant. Yeah, thanks for being part of it. Brilliant. Thanks, Ruth. Thank you, Cheryl. I loved our chat, particularly the failure Prosecco and the general discussion around celebrating failure. I think that's quite inspiring. Maybe more companies should be popping a cork for the things that go wrong and we might learn more. Well, I'm Ruth Varenga and you've been listening to the Conscious Leaders podcast. We're showcasing the human side of great leadership so you can learn about what it's really like and gain both philosophical and practical takeaways. To learn more about us and what we do to help leaders build a calm, collaborative and productive workplace, 
visit consciousleaders.org.uk.